Welcome to Convo Lounge Expression Exposure Experience. Welcome to the Convo Lounge podcast. This is officially episode four. Thank you so much for joining us. We do see the traction online. Remember, if you want to join us on the online community, just simply go to at Convo Lounge Africa um, on Facebook. And so I have another conversation this week. If you'd remember... I think over the last two weeks, we spoke a little bit about the data value chain in Botswana. What are some of the opportunities that exist? And I think one of the insights that we got there was that we seem to be exporting high value talent from the country if we're not doing certain things in the data space, like hosting our own data centers. And so on this particular episode, we've got a very interesting conversation with a young Motswana, who I believe is our top talent in the country when it comes to the tech space. I'm joined by Kesiho Mokosi, who is the co-founder and CEO of Anton Tech. We're going to talk a little bit about what they're doing at Anton Tech and his thoughts around uh, certain technologies in the country and what role they're playing to utilize those technologies to improve other sectors like agriculture. I uh, guess so welcome to you, Convalanche. How are you doing? Uh, hello, Ian Dila. I'm, I'm great. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Uh, maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about who Kesero is, you know, your background and how the story of Anton came about. Okay. Uh, it's, it's an interesting thing for me because I think I probably got into tech by a mistake. What? Uh, it was through <laughs> a friend. Uh, I was in Standard 7 then and he met a, a lecturer who was studying his master's in computing. And he gave him a pamphlet of like programming languages. And for me, back then, I think I was probably interested in astronomy and art. That's where my, my path was going. But I became obsessed with this idea of building software mm -hmm. and in making intelligent systems. I remember my first intelligent system was a medical diagnosis system. So for cats and dogs. So you could basically give you symptoms of your cat or dogs and it would tell you which diseases suffering from. That was my very, very first. I think I was doing from three then. And when I got to take to tertiary, I think it became part of me, an extension of me. And we did a lot of hackathons. I did a lot of Olympias. And along the line, we ended up like at Anton Tech, which is an AI research company mm -hmm. in the agri space. We basically build uh, artificial intelligence tools for enterprises, developers, as well as farmers for them to use on their applications and further their the value chain. Sounds like you've always been practical in your learning or academic journey. I don't know if you want to share more insights on which schools you actually went to or which schools did you actually go to right from, I think, primary, because you said at the seven, from primary to tertiary. Yeah, uh, I think most of my secondary and primary school life was in the village. So I'm from Saroe. I grew up in Saroe. Mm. So as standard seven, I went to Kama Memorial School. And then computers for me were just a tool for playing chess and Googling stuff. So I wasn't a top tier like programmer. Mm -hmm. And then form one, I went to Saman. I believe that's where it basically started clicking to me that I should really look towards pursuing this thing. Mm -hmm. And I stopped doing art because I was really passionate about art and drawing. So now the obsession was programming. So I started building systems, video players, websites, and just basic like library management systems. I think my first scalable product was a library management system. It was being used at the school I was going to, Samania. This is what? Senior secondary? That Samania is a junior school. Junior, junior secondary. 
Yes, okay. junior school, CJSS, yeah. Yeah. So I think your story is quite fascinating on two fronts. One, it looks like you've always been practical to apply what you're learning. Um, and I'm curious to know if it was just you or the environment that you were schooling in, whether it's your teachers or at home, there was some sort of encouragement to say, move from what you're learning in school or what you're reading to actually try and build, right? The second thing that I find interesting about your story is that it doesn't seem like you thought technology was a foreign concept or you thought it's something that will only arrive in Botswana later or you didn't read it as a student feeling like, it's not something that you can actually apply and start building solutions for. So I'm quite interested on, you know, how that, you know, what sort of support has been around you? And was that your school experience supporting you to apply what it is that you're learning practically? Or it was just you as an individual and how you think you're built? I think my environment played a part. Okay. Uh, specifically, I would say medicine and science and, uh, and Olympias. So Botswana Science Association has this Olympiads whereby they will take students out to compete with students in other countries. Mm. And and lucky for me, I would always win these Olympiads and some of the, the medicine and science competitions. So I got to travel and attend these Olympiads where I would meet other guys uh, from Russia, China. And these guys are really advanced, like four or five years ahead. Mm. So mm. I, I always had this feeling that if my peers are doing something four or five years ahead of me, and this is what I'm learning back home, and I thought I was the best, then there is something that I should probably do. I think that's where the spark came from. And my environment was conducive enough to support me to be able to, to do that. Yeah. And I think you continue even with uh, developer communities or being part of talent communities, even when you're in tertiary. Maybe tell us your experience of um, schooling at BAC and also what you were studying and also then touch a little bit on this interesting story of how you started your startup whilst you were also doing your degree. Yes. So what basically happened was that when I moved to Kaburun because I was staying Muslim Saroe, uh, I found out like at BAC, there weren't that many places where I could go and meet people who were just into coding. Mm -hmm. Because by then, when I started my first year and I was having conversations with my peers, some of the things I was talking about, it felt like they were foreign. Mm. And lucky enough, I met this other gentleman called uh, Mapedi. He was uh, able to shadow me because he, he worked as a software engineer at, at Bitry. Okay. So he's the one who actually recommended the CAC program or computer systems engineering program at BAC. All right. So we basically made a plan in terms of, okay, this is how your life for the next four years is going to be like. Obviously, the, most of the things you are going to learn at school are things you already know because you mm. did a lot of Olympias. So at Olympias, you are taught tertiary school syllabus. Mm. So now it was a matter of how do I not make it boring? So now he started recommending developer communities and basically giving me more time to be able to learn other things that I, that can benefit my growth as an engineer, as well as being able to keep in touch with the academia. Yeah. So let's talk about the developer communities. What do you think, you know, if you were to pick one thing that you think um, you learned from the community or that that community has contributed to your progress so far, what would that be? I think the most uh, important lesson I've learned is probably communication mm. and being able to talk to people, uh, interact, and 
learn about things beyond just programming. Because once I started, I joined GDG, a Google developer groups led by Keseho. So once I joined the community, I realized that sometimes you don't have to be the best engineer in the world if you can't communicate ideas. Mm. And fortunately, by that time, Google SSE was also looking for developer student lab leads. And I was able to become the very first or the second cohort, actually, of the GDSC of like 100 students from SAC or Southern Africa, Sub-Saharan region to be part of that. Mm -hmm. And that kind of me being able to lead a community as well got me more in sync with what developer communities are doing, your Facebook developer circles, PyData, as well as GDG. And that kind of built me into this co-creation thing and collaborating with other individuals in other areas. Yeah. Look, I know you like graduated as a valedictorian in your year, and I'm quite interested in what you think about the state of education, right? I'm sure your peers, it's not everyone who got employed um, after they graduated, or it's not everyone who started a business and started actually creating employment. I'm curious to know from your end what your thoughts are on the education system and this issue of unemployment that we have, and how do we reduce this com- this gap of the mismatch between what the industry needs and what tertiary schools um, are producing? What, what what are your thoughts on that? I think it's managing expectations mm. and trying to build yeah, innovators. So fortunately, I believe I'm one of the likest people because I, I got to an environment that encouraged me to be an innovator and start building. Mm. But in some instances, there are people who still have expectations that they should be employers. Yeah, mm. it's nice to get uh, a great job and work as an employer all the time. Mm. And I also had ambitions of big tech and someday working in big tech. But I realized that the environment where we are in, there's a lot of problems. And we, as the young people, should start thinking about solving these problems. Yeah. Interesting. So I also know that talent that is of your caliber sometimes feels like um, they want to leave Botswana. Like, yeah. um, And I'm sure even the pay scale for somebody of your background, if you go to the U.S., for instance, is probably a hundredfold more, right? Yeah. Um, but why do you choose to stay in Botswana? What are the opportunities that you're seeing in Botswana? And you can talk about this from an Anton Tech uh, point of view. Okay. I, I think one, Anton Tech is not the reason why I'm still in Busana. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, there's this other friend of mine, it's called uh, Tavonga, okay. and he's an MD at uh, Xavier Africa. So Xavier Africa is also a company. We do uh, natural language processing, computer vision, and we build enterprise software. <laughs> and for me, we had this vision that we could become big tech or we could have a big tech company in Africa. Mm. And because of we were want to, we still want to prove that point. I decided, man, I could still stay a few more years here. And if it all goes down, then I can always go to big tech. Big tech will always be waiting for me. But yeah. the competitive individual that I am, I believe we can have a, a big tech company. Here. So you have considered leaving. Yeah, I thought that was originally like the plan that, okay, okay, I'll do this many years Mm -hmm. and then afterwards I'll look for big tech or go for a postgraduate program somewhere else. Okay, cool. So you said you're building enterprise softwares. Let's talk a little bit about 
um, what you're building and the latest technologies, whether it's your IoT, virtual reality, um, Internet of Things. Um, what's your role in bringing these technologies to Botswana and using them to solve some of the challenges we have? Yeah, so we have really good uh, software developers in Botswana. And we have really good enterprises or corporates in Botswana mm. that are very successful. Mm. But they have these ideas of digital transformation as well as fourth industrial revolution mm. that exist. And they really do want to implement. But the issue is the technical expertise is usually not there. So what we do at Antoine Tech is basically we looked at the agriculture sector and we said we could build machine learning models, do AI research, and help these guys that want to build, uh, build in on top of our, our own platform. Mm. So we have uh, APIs that we have. So it's basically you are, a, you are a company that's maybe developing a mobile app and you need APIs for detection uh, to use on your mobile app. You could come to us and then we could help you in, in, in your integration. So all the AI stuff will be done by us and you will just get the recommendations and the results. Mm. Cool. Kif just joined us on the Convalange podcast. Uh, we're talking to Kiseho Mokosi, who's the co-founder of Anton Tech. Quite an interesting story, a fascinating story of high value uh, Botswana talent talking about you know, how he started moving from a theoretical based learning to more practical and application uh, based learning all the way from, I think, standard seven, and that would be uh, primary school in Botswana to where he is now after graduating at tertiary, where he actually also started his own startup. And so he's actively contributing towards employment creation. And we're just tapping into his story uh, to learn a little bit about, you know, his journey to becoming relevant to industry. Conva Lounge. Expression, exposure, experience. Welcome back to the Conva Lounge podcast. This is the second uh, segment of episode four, where we're talking, well, it's a case study, really. We're just highlighting and showcasing uh, high-value talent in Botswana, uh, obviously still talking uh, the conversation of how do we close um, the gap? How do we reduce unemployment in the country? And I think so far, this is um, quite an amazing case study or story or model, if you are following. So, I mean, so tell me a little bit about, um, you know, some of the technologies that you're developing at Anton Tech. And I believe you also mentioned, is it, Z is it Zeva or Zeva Africa? Xavier Africa. Xavier Africa. Yeah. Um, I know you guys do AI, you're using artificial intelligence, but, you know, you're also quite sector specific. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about some of the challenges that we have, for instance, in agriculture and some of the solutions that you are providing using the technology that you produce. What are some of the challenges that you're currently solving for in the agri-tech space? Well, one, I think it's, it's sustainability and having a technology driven uh, sector. Mm. And then the second one is data-driven decision-making. Mm. Uh, we are trying to move people to whereby they depend on data to make decisions. And decisions are not made out of uh, intuition or spontaneously. Yeah. So we provide tools that do analysis as well as uh, recommendations so that when they make decisions, they are very, very, is a data, there is something to back up or evidence to back up the decision that was made. Mm. And then the second one of having a sustainable and technology driven sector 
is we are trying to show individuals as well as corporate that we can mesh up to what the other guys are doing in your Israel, for instance, or Kenya, mm. whereby they are starting to implement these IoT tools and technologies to what they are doing uh, farming-wise. How's that going so far? How has been your go-to market or your entry into the market in terms of um, the confidence of the market or certain institutions in the ideas that you want to do and the ideas that you want to test in the market? I, I think uh, I, I was fortunate enough to be part of the Botswana Innovation Fund and have uh, an environment at BDIH that I, I can, or a team that I can work with. Mm. And it's been very, very significant when it comes to uh, conversing with these institutions that are financing farmers and that are doing uh, R&D work in the, in the research space, for instance, your, your CEDA. We have been piloting a few of our, our tools with them and it's been going very well. I, be, I believe there's a future where yeah. one day uh, they would be able to make decisions based on the technologies that uh, are out there, even if it's not from us, but it will be something that we've, someone has built probably from us. And we are trying to help, try to onboard people that we are coming to our space or other entrepreneurs that are emerging to use our tools and, and integrate to that business. I know this ecosystem is structured in such a way that, for instance, the Botswana Innovation Fund is meant to fund you to ideate and prototype um, and, of course, interact with other institutions in the, in the ecosystem for you to actually get to a commercialization stage. And like you're saying, you've been fond enough to be able to enter the market to test um, the solutions that you're bringing to the market. Let's broaden it up a little bit. What does success look like and how many opportunities do you stand um, to open up in the market should your, your, your solution in agri-tech succeed? I, I think there's a lot of, of opportunities. One, for people who are building hardware in the IoT space or people who also have uh, drone uh, and robotic car companies that are in the farming space, for instance, to be able to leverage our, our technology in order to, to enable these tools to analyze data. Mm -hmm. And then the second one is your, your software uh, developers, either startups as well as enterprise companies in the space, they will be able to use our data in order to make decisions and make analysis. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't have to worry about the technical implementation or technical burden because we already have done the research and built the tools for them. Mm -hmm. And it's, it all goes back to the agricultural village chain, your government, your research institute, they need this data to make decisions. And we have a, a tool that, or a platform that supports the whole village chain. Cool. So let's talk about, you know, the solutions that you're currently providing in the agriculture space or the, the, the solution that you're currently researching on, um, the value that you want to bring to farmers or the pain points that you want to solve that the farmers are facing. Well, the first one is to improve productivity and as well as improve yield. And also when we look at some of the sustainable development goals, your climate action, we're able to measure soil organic carbons and how much carbon should be in a particular place. That's of benefit to a farmer because now the implementation, they know what they should do. And also when we look at some of our Vision 2036 goals, your climate action, uh, environment action, Oh, and also having a sustainable uh, economy and technology-driven economic sector, uh, being able to put out these tools will also be of benefit to a regular uh, 
Botswana farmer out there who would be using this this technologies. Okay. So so far we've been talking more around um, I think farming. Uh, what about uh, the beef sector for farmers that um, have got a lot of cows? What solutions are you providing uh, to those types of farmers? Well, on our end right now, we are just doing uh, entomology-based solutions. So instead, if there's a parasite affecting cows, they'll be able to take a picture and then they'll get uh, information of like how they should go about uh, uh, treating that or, or taking care of that particular uh, uh, parasite. But as for the, the, the beef sector as a whole, uh, we are not really uh, in that depth. This is the, the start. Okay. But I believe since we are a research company, we'll continue trying to build tools around the sector. Okay. And would you say the technology that you have that you're uh, producing in the market helps to only mitigate already existing challenges or pain points that farmers might face? Or there's an opportunity for you to also be sort of predictive and be able to prevent uh, certain risks that farmers may face in their day-to-day operations? Yeah, I, b- I believe the whole core of the, our solution is, is risk management. So before you go about a, a farming project, we basically have a drone scout your farm. And then we analyze the, the data. We look at the slope, the amount of carbon levels, as well as the areas which would be good for you to go about. And we also use satellite data from the last six months to tell the conditions of the area. So before you even start a, a a farming project, you already have all the information you need about the condition of the land or area you are trying to build something in. Mm-hmm. And then the second one way is reactive is if there's a, an issue, a weed that's currently affecting you, you can be able to detect uh, pictures or send out classification images and we'll be able to tell you what plant it is, where it originated from and how you can go about mitigating it. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, two sides of the source. Cool. Um... I'm interested in the type of talent that you have at Antontac to be able to do this. You know, what's the talent composition in terms of the opportunities that exist? I know earlier when we spoke about job opportunities or the value chain among uh, within what you're doing, you spoke about, for instance, drone manufacturers that at some point we won't have to um, import drone technology into the country. Um, can you talk a little bit about the talent composition at Antontac? Who actually is involved in this process, um, right? from the analysis to the point where you provide the data for the farmers to begin the projects more effectively? Yeah. So our our, our research lead is Tlamelo Makadi. She's currently doing a PhD in, in machine learning. So she leads all our, our research initiatives, uh, uh, research areas to look into and what kind of models would work in specific areas. And then our CTO uh, is Tumo Kabeng. So here. It leads all our, our, our technology or development initiative, like development of the product, the whole process until we have a software or an API that we'll be putting out in the, in the market. So those are the, my two co-founders as well, because I started the project with them. And what we do when we, 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 we build project, we, we, we consult other startups as well. So if, for instance, if we need our scouting services, we would consult another local startup that does scouting services. And we also have drones, so we just let them use our tools. Mm-hmm. Or if there's any other thing that we would want, we would also consult a local company. So we rely look, uh, mostly on local consultants. 
And the second thing is, how long does this process or data collection analyzing the farm take to the point where now you've got data that can inform a farmer to start farming? Um, and what's the cost to the average farmer to do this? Yes. So interestingly enough, it can take up to an hour. So you, within an hour, you could have information about what's going on in your farm and how it's going. So basically, we would have a drone fly for 30 minutes. And then we take all the data and have our, our software analyze it. So the analysis doesn't take more than 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And basically, you'd have full insight in terms of what's going on in your farm. Cool. Well, as a country, I think uh, we have this vision of becoming a high income earning knowledge based digital economy. I learned from one of the podcasts uh, that versions that we had that you know, there are different definitions of a knowledge-based economy and that we've always been a knowledge-based economy. And so I'm quite interested in your thoughts on this. What is a knowledge-based economy from your point of view um, and how everything that you're doing at Anton Tech is contributing to that story? Well, I, I, I believe we, would, we are an, a knowledge-based economy to some sort, but I believe to get to the point where we want to get to be, we should be able to have a more disruptors coming out uh, from early ages and being able to provide an environment uh, enough for people to to co-create and start building solutions here. Yeah. It would be great if more than 60% of the solutions that we use and in, in corporates come from local enterprises. Mm. Then I would say, yeah, we are a, a knowledge-based economy. Mm. And what do you think about the future of the tech um, sector in the country in terms of what you're doing? Um, is there room for a few? In terms of, I think what I really love about your story is how receptive the market has been for you to test yourself, right? From ideation to research. Um, looking at your own journey, is it replicable? Um, what do you think about the future of the tech industry and bots? I believe the future is right because we have the, the best environment. I, I don't think there's no better environment to test your technology than Botswana because we have a, a really small population and there, there is room for failure because we are still trying out a lot of things. So it, it gives out an opportunity to even young people who are still in secondary school to try out solutions and put them out in the market and see what comes of, out of it. Cool. So in closing, are you already like the solution? I love what you said. Some usually look at that uh, the Botswana market as a limitation to say that 2 million means I've got a small market to prove my traction. Um, and you're seeing it as an opportunity to, for the Botswana market to serve as a test bed. Um, are you already with your mindset, you know, thinking about how you're going to scale and take the solutions that you're currently testing in the Botswana market to other markets in the, on the continent? Yeah. So, uh, and Project Antoine is, 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 is a project that's built for scale. Mm -hmm. When we started, we weren't necessarily thinking about the Botswana market just because this is a tool that could be used anywhere. So the field of, of scouting, for instance, a lot of companies do scouting services, mm -hmm. but they don't have the capabilities to do all the analytics and recommendations. Mm -hmm. Because as much as there's this uh, artificial intelligence hype train right now, there's only a few number of limited experts who can actually build AI tools. And we believe that what we are providing will also help other institutions outside yeah. who are in, in the field. Mm. Well, Kisero, thanks so much for joining us on the Kumba Launch podcast. I think in closing, I don't know if you have any last words or words of encouragement 
to any young person that might be listening to you. Um, I think your story is quite amazing. You, you know, you did say that you, for the earlier part of your education, you were sort of schooling in a village. So it wasn't necessarily an urban area and you're demystifying a lot of, um, you know, narratives around access to opportunities only being in urban centers or somebody who might not be saying Khaburoni or the capital city feeling like uh, it's the end of the world for them or they're quite limited. Um, you know, any last words to anybody who's listening to you who might find themselves as well, who's not in Khaburoni in terms of, you know, yeah, any advice you have for them? I think just be obsessive with what you're doing and eventually something great will come out of it. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, thank you. And that was it. Um, the fourth episode of the Conva Lounge podcast. I hope you found it as insightful as I did. Um, and it's certainly answering some of the questions that we initially had on the first episode, you know, whether it's the difference between uh, going through a public education system and a private education system, you know, are there any limitations? Does one put another one in a better position to succeed? Um, and I think this story has answered that. And when we're talking about the relevance of the academic institutions uh, to industry and to help industry solve its problems from a research point of view, I think this story has also covered that. And so I think um, it's more around how do we scale the story and this model uh, to ensure that a lot of other young people get similar experiences and we contribute to reducing that uh, gap or that skills mismatch between what academic institutions are doing and offering as, as well as what industry is doing or, 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 or the demand that industry has um, for talent in the market. And I think that was it uh, from us this week. We'll catch you again next week. Convo Lounge. Expression, exposure, experience.